0: All right. We're back for another week. It's the Rasball prospect podcast. Uh, Unfortunate news for my Cleveland Indians friends out there. Uh, We're going to be combining yours with the Royals podcast (laughs) in a few weeks. (laughs) We're jumping into the Colorado Rockies today. Uh, We're bringing back on another guest. We're actually bringing on one of my favorite follows on Twitter, Michael Parnell from prospects. 1500 Uh, follows a Rocky system, lives out in Albuquerque. So he gets to get a lot of, you know, firsthand takes on these guys. I know I obviously always have my main man, Lance, in tow. We've actually taken in some Yard Goats games, some Hartford Yard Goats games, a double A affiliate of the Rockies, in person together. So, this is uh, going to be a great podcast. I'm excited because we have a lot of firsthand knowledge of many of these players, at least on the upper minors side, um, to discuss. So, that's, that's going to be really exciting. Michael, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Lance and uh, Ralph.
1: I really appreciate joining you.
2: Oh, this is um, going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to have you on. Uh, yeah, so we got the Hartford affiliation up here with me and Ralph. We're both just outside of the Boston area. And then, Michael, you're out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, if my understanding is correct, Triple A of the Rockies. So we got a little bit of the higher level affiliation here, which is awesome. We've gotten, I think, between us probably a looks at a lot of these guys. I know me and Ralph have seen a few. And the first-hand looks at a lot of these guys are just vital. I think most of the times are really getting a good impression of who they are as a player and what you genuinely feel uh, about them. And I know with the Red Sox one, Ralph, you had a lot of, um, you've been to a lot of Portland games. I don't think I've been to too many Portland games, but... And Pawtucket. And Pawtucket. And Pawtucket. Tons yeah, that's Pawtucket. the other one. I always forget about that. But uh, yeah, this is going to be a good one. I think we're actually going to start off, though, away from the Rockies. So as many people know, this is a time when a lot of top 100 prospect lists come out, including... Uh, Baseball Americas is going to come out, Prospectus, uh, MLBpipeline.com. A lot of these sites are going to start kicking these out in the next couple weeks. Um, Usually the end of January is that kind of prime zone to debut all these. Mine will be coming out in a few weeks as well. And, MLB.com kind of does this thing where they slow slow release it, kind of like what Gray does with his uh, baseball rankings, fantasy baseball rankings, which started up at the beginning of this week on Razzball.com, and they released their top 10 left-handed pitchers and top 10 right-handed pitchers, so what I wanted to do to start off the show, kind of like we did last time where Jim Callis interviewed organizationally some of the uh, front office guys and got their opinion on who the top prospects were, we want to look at the top left-handed pitchers and right handers pitchers from MLBpipeline.com specifically to start So I'm going to toss this to Ralph quick first. I want to run through the right-handed pitching list and then your immediate takes off the bat, Ralph. So the list itself is number one, Shohei Otani, number two, Forrest Whitley, third is Kopech, four is Honeywell, five, Walker Bueller, six is Mitch Keller, seven is Alex Reyes, eight is Hunter Green, nine is Tristan McKenzie, and ten is Sixto Sanchez. Ralph, your hot takes on this list.
0: Well, the first thing I'm going to say on this list is uh, Shohei Ohtani. I, I hate the fact that he's listed as a prospect, <laughs> yeah, but I guess there's really that. there's really nothing I can do about that. Um, huh? Reyes, is, Reyes, personally, for me, is too low. I, I would still have Reyes over Whitley. As much as we love Forrest Whitley and we see what the enormous upside is with this kid, I think we have to take a step back and say, hey, Alex Reyes has already showed us what he can do on the big stage and his ceiling is probably that uh, equal to Whitley's. Uh, I would say at least, at least that's personally how I feel. I'm sure Lance will back me up uh, as a Cardinals fan. Uh, Michelle bias should be on this list. And I think Keller is a little high, but knowing it's a real life list, I don't think I can probably knock it too much. Cause I think he has as much floor as anybody. I, I, I want to hate the list. I don't, I don't hate it. Cause I think for the most part, the right guys are on there. Um, with the exception of Baez and Otani's on there, I think maybe there's a case you could make for like a Mike Soroka with, uh, Keller being as high as he is. And maybe even over a Hunter green who as exciting as Hunter green is unlike the lefty list, there's a lot of depth among right-handed starters. I had 24 right-handed starters, on my top, my last uh, version of my top 100. So there is depth in the right-handed pitching ranks uh, in the minor leagues right now, unlike on the left-handed side.
2: A- absolutely, I'm I'm in the process of putting my top 100 together, and that's something I definitely noticed. I think I did a quick retrospective look at what I was looking at through about 70 ranks 70 total overall guys and I was like oh my god I have like three lefties and I think 18 righties and it was just insane but Michael we're gonna let you talk here for a second how do you feel about Alex Reyes at seven sitting below Mitch Keller which kind of stood out to me um do you have any hot kind of hot takes do you feel like anyone's left off this list or are you relatively comfortable with what Pipeline did here
1: Well, I'm relatively comfortable, but I agree with Ralph that both Baez and Sirocco should be on this list. And I definitely think Reyes should be above Keller. The one guy I'm a little more partial to here is Honeywell. I'd Mm. probably move Honeywell up a notch to number three. I think he's going to—he may not have the stuff Whitley has, but I think he's probably going to be a little bit more successful. So that's at least my bias.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I think that's something Ralph actually would probably agree with, too. I remember last time we talked, Ralph, you said that Honeywell's a guy you think should have gotten some organizational picks when MLB released this stuff. Um, So let's jump over to left-handed pitchers now quick before we we get into the Rockies' top 20-ish prospects, I think, Ralph ranked. So on the left-handed pitcher side of the spectrum, we have number one, Mackenzie Gore, number two, A.J. Puck, number three, Justice Sheffield, Luis Gohara at four, Brendan McKay at five, Adrian Morejon at six, Kobe Allard at seven, Jesus Lazardo at nine, excuse me, eight, Jesus Lazardo, Steven Gonzalez is nine, and then Max Fried is ten. I'll give this back to you, Mike. Uh, Michael, excuse me. Um, the one that stood out to me here is Justice Sheffield at three. Uh, Mm. I don't know if that's much of an (laughs) overrank, but to go with Sheffield over Gohara when Gohara has the major league experience and has featured two plus breaking ball pitches or change up as a breaking ball, but two plus off speed pitches, excuse me. um, It's relatively surprising me that they have that much confidence in Sheffield. I don't know if you feel the same way, Michael.
1: I do. I absolutely feel that Gohara should be above Sheffield field i i think he's clearly the superior pitcher we could be proved wrong of course but that's the way i feel today i also think brendan mckay is too high on this list i was a little surprised to see where he slotted in
2: mm-hmm. i agree with that mckay's interesting too because he's still kind of fringy two-way i almost think to some extent that the rays are going to entertain that more than i think a lot of people think but uh ralph i know you really like jesus lazardo um, do you think, oh, like, talk about Lazardo in a sec, but do you think they're a little bit low on Elard here? Do you think that they're knocking him too much because of that K-dip when he jumped up to, I think, double A, where it went down to around eight-ish per nine? And uh, um, that's interesting, because I know you really, really like his curveball, Ralph.
0: Yeah, and I I, I am a big Elard fan. I think he has great touch, uh, great feel, and just great understanding of sort of the art of pitching. And I think it's the same thing with Soroka, who we mentioned, uh, who was, you know, a snub on the right-handed side. McKay is way too high for me. I can understand McKay maybe being nine or 10 if you're not as comfortable with a Freed. But for me, it's Gore. It's a lard. But I think a case can be made for Gohara. And I'm very on the fence. I could flip on that. I'd go Puck, Lizardo, Morihan, Sheffield, uh, Gonzalez, Freed, and then McKay. And I think Jay Groom, mm. you could make yep. a case could be as high as six or maybe even five depending upon how you view groom. Maybe I'm a little bit too cautious with him because I'm a Red Sox fan, but I think he's in the mix too. Um, I was shocked at how high McKay was, especially considering a lot is younger and has shown as much as he has at a higher level. And I know that McKay is obviously one of the most decorated, if not the most decorated collegiate player of all time. But a lot of that has to do with his outstanding performance on both sides of the ball in college, you know, um to me alard is a better pitcher at this point he's shown more he's done it at a full season level multiple years in a row has exceeded some expectations in terms of age versus level um lazardo has done as much as brandon mckay has uh coming back from an injury younger has better stuff max free to me has better stuff than than brandon mckay um, and I think that Steven Gonzalez probably has the highest four of anyone on this list. I saw that they mentioned that on the pipeline list. I tend to agree with that, that I think there isn't a lot of risk with him.
2: Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I almost think to some extent, both of you here, that the McKay rank almost feels like they put him in as a left-handed pitcher. But this seems like it's encompassing everything that he does as a player to some extent. Mm-hmm. And it feels comparable to yeah. what happens a lot of the time when you get a, a guy in a redraft league who's a catcher first baseman where they rank him at catcher, but most of the time he's starting at first base, and that's what appreciates his value overall. So I'm interested to see. I, I didn't actually read through it. I apologize, Mike Rosenbaum from LB.com, but I didn't actually read through <laughs> it to see if they if they rationalized why McKay was so high. But I, I found that very interesting, dude. That's the one that stood out to me. And the fact that their Gohara is four, I just, the Sheffield is tough. I, they must have had some really, really good looks at Sheffield, or they really like projecting him out a little bit longer. But yeah, Yankee fans, I'm sure, really like that. But um, I don't know. But, yeah, they have their list, I think, coming out um they have it actually debuting on a saturday i'm looking at here on the 27th which is kind of interesting because i know most views on these things kick up around monday through friday so releasing that on weekend is interesting lb.com but uh they have some more of the ranks coming out this week coming forward as we jump in this will be published on a saturday so i think monday they're looking at second baseman and then they do third baseman on tuesday so i'm sure we'll kick this through this is one of the bigger lists out there it's one that gets more eyes on it um i'm not really sure whose sources that i know i'm sure Callis and uh the other guy, I forgot Mayo. his name. Mayo. Yeah, God, Mayo. God, Mayo. Yeah. Mayo.
1: I'm,
2: I'm sure they have some input on it, but I, I always like hearing about the process on a lot of these things and how they go about it. And I think baseball market does a really good job of breaking that down. That's one list I'm really looking forward to as well. So This is prospect ranking season, and I enjoyed it a lot. I'm sure you two do very well. One guy that you're going to see at the top of a lot of lists or near the top of a lot of lists is, is Brendan Rogers, shortstop from the Colorado Rockies, who's a guy that me and Ralph have seen, I believe, multiple times in Hartford. I've got a couple looks at him. I have some opinions that I think differ from the masses, so what I want to do is I want to kick this around to you guys first, just to kind of get your looks on him overall, how you feel about him, how you feel his ceiling is going to be, where you see him ending up. Uh, I'll pass this to Michael first. How do you feel about Brendan
1: Rodgers? Well, I'm high on Brendan Rodgers. I think he's clearly the consensus number one pick for the Rockies, and I I think he's going to be a perennial all-star when he hits his stride. The one thing about Rodgers that's interesting to me is how people differ on his hitting ability. Some people say he's going to be a plus 300 hitter. Some people say, well, maybe you'll get 270 a year and he'll hit with more power. So I'm really interested to see what his batting average is going to bring. Obviously, he really tore up Lancaster last year. Didn't do quite as well in Hartford. He did have a hand injury, and that slowed him down a little. And that's my other concern about Rogers. He his uh, maximum number of at bats in the minor in any minor league season is four hundred and forty two. So, you know, I, I'd like to see what he'd do if he had five hundred plus at bats.
2: Mm, very interesting. Yeah, and he's he's a high school shortstop too. So I almost would be interested to see if they're just going to take some time to stretch him out a little bit. Long-term, uh, you said perennial all-star, Michael. Um, at shortstop, at second base, at third base, where do you kind of see him?
1: I, th- I see him at short uh, or second. I-, I think maybe he is ultimately going to move into that shortstop job. I'm not sure Trevor's story is going to be able to keep it two seasons from now, and I think Rogers is really ready to take it. That would be my prediction anyway.
2: Mm, It's very interesting. Yeah, I actually, uh, I'll I'll jump back to me here before I pass it back to Ralph for his looks. But I I saw him in Double A at Hartford, and the one thing that I was the most disappointed in, I wasn't disappointed overall in him. I am lower, when you see my prospect list come out, I am lower on Brandon Rogers the most. And that's something that is just a personal thing. I've seen him multiple times, and I just don't know if I see that top 10 potential that others do. I think that he could get to a perennial all-star status, especially with the hit tool. Um, being a little bit higher and it's just such a fluid swing it's one of those things that I know I think um, when we talked about the Orioles a while back I really like Ryan Mountcastle's swing the shortstop who isn't nearly the same kind of prospect Rodgers is but if you look at both of them back in high school they both had relatively similar swings it was very very smooth from the right side beautiful load through the lower half good transfer of weight and everything but Rodgers for me is a second baseman long term I Lemay is gone I believe after 2018 his contract is up he becomes an unrestricted free agent I think that's where he slots in. And I agree, Michael, that I don't really know what happens as a story at short. But I think what I saw from a lot of Rogers' actions is throwing the run and up the middle into the hole. I don't know if he has the stature to play shortstop successfully at the major league level. And if he does, then I think it's more of a kind of tryout kind of thing where it could be every now and then he plays there. But I think long term, when we look at him, and I believe that he could get the perennial all star status, when long term we look at him, it will be at second base. I don't know if Ralph, do you agree with this?
0: Yeah, no, I tend to agree with all that. And um, I don't think I don't think I'm going to reinvent the wheel here and repeat everything you yeah. guys said. But yeah, I think it's the hit tool plus power that we're really banking on here, that this guy can be 280 plus hitter. So, you know, plus hitting ability, plus an average, same thing with power. He's not going to run a lot. We're hoping this is the future three hitter of the Rockies, that he's going to go into Colorado. Those skills are really going to play up. He's going to have a good batting average on balls and play because of it. The one thing that I worry about, at least from a fantasy perspective with Mm -hmm. Brendan Rodgers, is his ability to draw at least walks at an average rate. And at at this point in time, I think the average walk rate in MLB is eight or nine percent. And he's a guy that's walking about five percent. So he's below average in that sense. A lot of it had to do with the fact that, you know, he was hitting lasers every time he made yes, contact, yes. particularly at home in Lancaster, which is one of the better environments to hit it in baseball. I can't fault him for that. That typically happens when someone is really locked in. They're not walking as much because they're seeing beach balls. When he got to Hartford, I think he struggled with that a little bit. I think that that's the next adjustment that he can make in his game to really get to that next level and justify a lot of the top 10 rankings. Item 12, I've had him in the top 10 in the past. But I think it really justifies it if he's able to walk at a 7 or 8% clip and really sort of get to that average walk rate, and it's going to increase everything in terms of his overall profile. So it's it's a, it's a change that he can make, and it's something that a lot of really talented, athletic, um, naturally gifted hitters make that change, and it comes down to pitch recognition and a lot of things. When it comes to the loud contact, when he actually gets a hold of a ball, Um, I actually saw him hit a Homer, um, I think back in, in early July in Hartford, um, he hit it to dead center. I mean, he, he, when he gets a hold of the ball, I mean, it's, 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 it's lasers. I mean, the guy is not Raphael Devers uh, in in terms of his power, in terms of the stuff that that he's hitting off his bat, but it's pretty damn close. You know, um, he was more impressive than, than Michael Chavez was. Uh, in in the same series that I saw. so I like I like Rogers a lot. I do agree with the defensive side of things. He might move to second base. I think there if if story or Rogers was really strong as a shortstop, one of the other would be pushing the other one to second base. And I think I that's agree. sort of what that's the conundrum is is that they're not really pushing one or the other. I would lean story a little bit more defensively, but I think that Rogers, just because of how athletic he is, and I think when you see him in person, you see that you know he's an athletic, sort of like that trim, strong profile. I, I, I think he probably is built more like a shortstop, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, two things I
2: want to bring up here, Ralph. Very very good point. I like that point a lot, actually, the fact that I don't think the Rockies are committing to either of them at short because neither is a pure shortstop. I mean, it, that's essentially what it is. If one, if Story mm. was a shortstop, there wouldn't be questions around it. If if Rogers was a pure shortstop that they really, really like seeing in the future, I don't think there'd be questions about him going to second base, which I know floated around. But the interesting thing, I actually was listening to the Baseball America Prospect pod on the uh, Rockies, and what they brought up, Ralph, was that Rodgers wasn't walking a lot because he was getting pitches he liked, and he has such a good ability to put his bat on those balls, he wasn't getting deep into counts. And I don't know if that's more of an excuse or, or as opposed <laughs> to like a rationale, but it kind of made sense in theory, but it at the does. same time, like I don't know. I mean, he's only, like, I think he was sub-5% walk rate or right around there, at least in AA. And it's a little bit concerning, especially because the strikeout rate jumped up a a little bit. So if he was seeing these pitches that he really wanted to hit and he wasn't making contact with them and he was swinging through them, then it's kind of like a circular argument to some extent. It's like, sure, that the walk rate was low possibly because of this, but why was the K rate then high, you know? Because it's like if he's hitting those pitches then the K rate you would assume would probably stay stable. And the other thing I want to bring up that I'll pass it back to Michael for is I think we should have prefaced actually going into this list by saying nearly everyone from 1 through 17-ish or maybe even 15, 20, whatever you want to bucket those guys as, has really, really good stats in the minor leagues. Lancaster is an unbelievable place to play. Hartford is a small bar park from what I understand. I know they don't have a big sample of data there as far as how balls are flying out, but I know me and Ralph have both been there, and, and from my impressions of it, it's a very small stadium. It plays very, very small and I believe Albuquerque, Michael, where you are, is another place that buoys a lot of offense. So when you're watching and- guys, when you're watching guys in Albuquerque, Mike, um, how much do you kind of put reservations on what you're seeing around the bats of guys if they if it's inflating stats this much from what we understand?
1: Well, you have to discount it because obviously the altitude and the dry air. It's not. It doesn't play like Lancaster, which sure. really is uh, and, and that would explain, I think Roger's approach might make sense in Lancaster, but not in Hartford. He needs to take more pitches in Hartford, but certainly in Albuquerque, you have to remember though, these guys are going on to Coors field. So the pitchers uh, who go to Lancaster and Albuquerque are getting a good sense of what they're going to have to do to pitch at Coors field in Denver, the hitters. Maybe their numbers are a little inflated, but those numbers are probably going to be inflated if they arrive in Denver as well.
2: That's a very good point. Yeah, and I think that it's interesting that it buoys their hitting stats to some extent. So I think you're going to see a lot of people who look at the pure stats of guys like Colton Welker and Tyler Nevin and stuff and say, oh my God, like look at those stats, it's unbelievable. And then you're going to look at a lot of the pitching stats from guys like Peter Lambert, I believe, is on this list, right? I'm thinking of the right Peter Lambert. Yeah, there's only one Peter Lambert, of course. Um, He's a guy where (laughs) he he actually has, I think, from my understanding, a sub-league average. So I think he was in the Sally League. So sub-league average ERA, and it was above four. So he was better than the league average. He was a
1: Lancaster, and and, uh, he he had a 4.17 ERA, which is about – you know, I think the average is four point three six, so yeah. he probably would have had a, a run less e r a if he'd been somewhere else. That was a good performance for a pitcher in Lancaster,
2: yeah, that's unbelievable. that's something I think we're gonna we're gonna continually bring up as we go down this list and get into some of the other pitchers here but um Michael, keep it with you here, Ryan McMahon is a guy who made the jump to triple a I believe at the end of last year, if I'm remembering correctly, or at some point in beginning he had of had about of 20- seventy games. Okay, that's it. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, so he got a lot of grooming there, and that's actually where we saw a lot of his profile improve a ton. I know a couple of years ago he had a, a pretty high K-ride. He cut that down a lot. Um, did you see Ryan McMahon at all, and what did you think of him overall?
1: Yeah, I saw him quite a few times, and I'm really impressed, and I really think he is ready. He has nothing left to prove in Albuquerque. He's got good power. Uh, he's a good run producer. I think he's a great hitter. You know, uh, He hit 355. Uh, in his uh, both double a AA and triple a last year and, and he hit 374 at albuquerque slash line 374 411 612 14 home runs and 70 games that's not bad so i think he's ready actually to, to at least be part of a platoon at first base in denver i i don't know that he has anything left to accomplish in albuquerque
2: did you think it was funny when he got a couple looks at second base i know he doesn't have the body for it michael but that was something that as a fantasy owner if you have any stock in Ryan McMahon and you see a guy with this hit tool go to second base you kind of you start to get a little giddy. I think this is almost like Anthony Rizzo to some extent, but uh, I assume you think he is too big of a body for second base, Michael, right?
1: I do. I mean, hell, blame at shortstop. But uh, <laughs> he, he came up as a third baseman, but he doesn't really profile at third or second. I think first base is his position. He is athletic. I do think he'll be a good fielding, above average first baseman, but I think he would be, at best, average at third And probably below average at second. I don't think he'd have the range. He's just got too big a body.
2: Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think long-term, he ends up being a first baseman. And uh, I think that Coors will appreciate his bat a lot, and I think that'll buoy him a bit. But uh, I like him overall. I think that he's a guy that slots in, I think, between that 40 to 60-ish window for me. I don't know, Ralph, for fantasy specifically, you might have him a little bit higher here. Um, Do you remember where you had him on your top 100, Ralph?
0: Yeah, I actually had him at at 14. Oh, wow. And uh, I think with the proximity of of mcmahon and the fact that there is kind of an open opportunity at first base yeah uh, in colorado if they want to give mcmahon the job he should get it and he should at least be on the strong side of the platoon because he mashed right-handed pitching last year um he still hit 300 against left. well i think that's it a he's a got five. both playing
1: yeah. opportunity and
0: course field yeah exactly and, and um just, just altogether, he's he's definitely for me. He's definitely a first baseman. I mean, it, yeah. it, he came up as a third baseman. We know that that position is at least taken for the next few seasons uh, with the big league club. Mm-hmm. The second base thing was kind of goofy. I know we talked about it <laughs> quite it. a bit, you know, during the season. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. And I was hoping that you know maybe he would come up and they would use him down the stretch run as like a multi-position guy that like you know came in gave him, you know, a little bit of pop at second base in certain games or, you know, spell there in auto or whatever, and was able to get this multi-position eligibility and heading into this year and then have the first base job locked up. It would have been sort of perfect. Um, But I love the skill set, and I love the skill set for the lineup and the ballpark that he's going to be in potentially. I think it all sort of adds up that McMahon is kind of a dark horse for NL rookie of the year. If he gets the opportunity, if he gets the opportunity he will probably outproduce um, Ronald Acuna. Ooh. I would say this this season. This season, I, if he gets 600 at bats and Acuna gets 600 at bats, I don't know, man. In that lineup, that's he could point. he could have a he could have a 25 to 30 homer season, hit 280 and drive in 100 runs. I mean, that's the ceiling. That's the ceiling if everything clicks and he settles in. But I, I really think that he will, and and. Yeah, I mean, he's got plenty of good hitters around him in the lineup, you know.
2: That's a very good point. And, and as Michael mentioned, yeah, he improved his approach a ton. Uh, in 2016, he had a 30% K rate. In 2017, it went down to 19%. And then it went down even further when he jumped up to Albuquerque to 17%. And this is something I tried to find a bit of, of reasoning on because I always like understanding why a K rate drops sure. 11%. And I saw two things. One was from my own kind of watching. And the other one was the fact that I, I understand that hitting coaches were not really, we're trying to make him more of a breaking ball hitter and get his approach on a little bit better. And at some point he was just like, I'm just going to adjust and become a fastball hitter. And he started scorching fastballs now, because we don't really have too much pitch data and stuff like that. I don't sure. know how, how easy it is to, definitively say that is the reason why but the small tweak that I saw watching some video between 2015 2016 and 2017 is that he's hovering over his front leg a little bit more it's a really really smooth swing but if you watch 2016 I think it was spring training I was watching some video from I want to say baseball census or something like that when he came up into his leg lift it was more straight through the zone and I noticed that in 2017 when this K-rate dropped down he's hovering more with it now I don't know if that's a thing timing wise, if it's, if it's keeping his weight back, but I, I know I can't go one for one and say that's the reason why, but I found it relatively interesting. It was something I noticed. I don't know how consistent it was through the, his major league at bats. Um, a little bit harder to actually find video on that, which you wouldn't expect because I, I tend to go to YouTube a lot, but, uh, um, I'm interested to see what they do with McMahon long-term and, and how this profile plays out. But I, I think that if he gets the opportunity, it's going to be really, really hard for him not to be successful in some capacity. We've seen some weird hitters be successful, especially on the fantasy landscape in cores, and McMahon's got a really good bat.
0: And let me drop one more thing, sure. too, on McMahon's 2016. And, and uh, you know, maybe maybe it's just a bad excuse, but Hartford did not have a home ballpark that entire year. Mm-hmm. And they played an entire season, his first year in Double A, he played involved, an entire yeah. season. And well doll, but doll got onto a hot hot streak. Doll was hitting well, went up to Albuquerque for a little bit, that's got true. into the majors, and obviously got got his you know his taste. This was his first taste to double A, um, you know, at least for a full season, and he struggled a little bit, you know. And I, I think it's it's reasonable when you consider the fact that he was on the road the entire time. There's sort of no normalcy to like your routine routine yeah. from day to day at all. I mean that's that's got to be tough. I know that you know Tapia was on that team as well, yeah, he was. Um, and had a, a relatively decent season. But you know, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sell that short with McMahon because I mean he's, you know, he's 22 years old, so yeah, it's, I, it's reasonable to think that could affect him.
2: Yeah, there was some other pitchers on that yard team that didn't have a home stadium. I want to say, I want to say Hoffman was one of them, Ralph. I don't know Hoffman or one of these pitchers. I always got all them mixed up. Kyle Freeland maybe is who I'm thinking of. One or the other.
1: It um, might have been Hoffman, but. I think it was that year when you drum talking about the year they didn't, yeah, they were on the road every game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think Hoffman because he was in, he was in Albuquerque I think part of that year, but it also might've been Freeland though too.
2: Mm, He probably was really happy to get to Albuquerque (laughs) and actually have a home for a little bit. (laughs) Have
1: a place to sleep at night.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Oh, man. Um, So let's jump down. So, yeah, that's kind of the top tier to some extent. I know some people have Riley Pine in that top tier, but what I want to do is I want to reserve Riley Pine for a little bit and talk in tandem with Peter Lambert regarding him. Um, So we'll hold that off. And I want to jump down. So you had... Number one, Brandon Rogers, Ralph. Then two, you have Ryan McMahon. And then you get into a little bit of, a, of an interesting trio here. You go three bats. You go Colton Welker, three, third baseman. Number four, Ryan Valade, shortstop. And uh, number five, Tyler Nevin, third baseman. Um, and this is where I, I actually like your list a bit, Ralph, because it deviates from what a lot of, of what I saw on the Internet, and I enjoy looking at things that are a little bit contrarian. Um, Welker is a guy <laughs> that I think a lot of people – tend to buy into to some extent because they really like the uppercut swing. They think there's power there. He could probably stick a third. Um, I, I, I like this swing overall. I have to admit, he's a pretty big kid. Kind of immobile to some extent. I don't really know uh, how the speed is going to play up, but I don't think you're really buying into him f- for that specifically. Um, I think he's solidly top three here. I think that to some extent I've seen some lists where Pint is in the top four and Wel- Welker mm-hmm. falls to four but he's clearly, I think to some extent, the third best bat in this system. I'd I be interested to see an argument for him maybe over McMahon if you really don't like McMahon. But again, as far as fantasy goes, what we're looking at with the floor, McMahon, and the and the relevance to the major league level, it's it's right there and it's it's basically like bird in the hand, you know? You just gotta take McMahon, I think, because he's so far advanced. And Welker is kinda one of these Um, high school prospects that we see a lot on this list. I think there's five or six guys inside your top 10 here, Ralph, that are all high school draftees. So the Rockies tend to love that to some extent from what I noticed, but uh, your thoughts on Colton Welker, Ralph hit me with them.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, once again, he's a contact power guy, um, you know, sort of in the mold of, of Brendan Rodgers, Rogers, but not quite that talented, but he is a very talented hitter. I think he's a guy that would probably get um, a lot more shine and a, a lot more notoriety on a lot of these lists. If Brandon Rogers and Ryan McMahon weren't in the system, that might be the case in a year or two. And people might be really hyped up for Colton Welker. Unfortunately, he's had some injuries that he's dealt with and hasn't had uh, as much time as he probably should. Had he played a full year this year, you know, you, you could see what the slash line is three fifty, four hundred four Oh one 500 six homers, 33 RBIs and five steals. He's not going to run, you know, he's a, a corner infielder, Whether he sticks at third or moves over to first base, or you know potentially in like a corner outfield spot, remains to be seen. Uh, He's only 20 years old, so I'm not going to write off the defense or improving there either. But I do think he is a potentially elite bat. Another guy in Colorado's system that could be a a fantasy superstar in terms of you know if everything maxes out with the power, with the contact, a guy with you know 30 homer pop and 300 batting average. So I like Welker a lot. I him 67th in my, my midseason list. I think I had him maybe 68 <laughs> in my end of season list. Yeah. So I didn't fluctuate on him too much, even though he, he was hurt, but uh, you know, he, he was, he was still just 19 at the time. So, you know, I, I think we have to put that sort of into perspective of uh, the type of talent he is and uh, the type of production that he had in a full season level for as young as he was
2: definitely uh michael do you see welker as kind of the the third best bat on this list clearly what are your impressions overall with him
1: well i actually ralph and i agree on our top five we have him ranked the same as uh, i did on my prospects 1500 and i have welker third and i i definitely think he's the third best bat obviously we got to see see how he uh, moves uh on to hartford but He can hit for average. He can hit for power. Speed is not really a factor in his game, and I'm not sure where he's going to end up playing in the field. But I am high on him. I'd like to see how he does this year, but I think he really could move uh, pretty quickly, and obviously he could be topping this list this time next year.
2: Yeah, I think that's a very realistic possibility, especially because I don't know if we're 100% sure on Rogers' ETA at the moment. I think he might get like a September-ish call-up, but I have a feeling if he ends up being a second baseman long-term that they'll probably just keep LeMahieu and run him out. But, I mean, yeah, these guys are going to graduate pretty quick, and I think at the end of the day when we're looking at this list and we, we graduate Rogers, if we do at all, uh, Welker is probably going to be the number one on this list. Uh, I did notice in breaking down his video a little bit that He's really, really aggressive with his lower half into the ball, and I think that's where a lot of his power comes from. He's got a very interesting leg kick. You see a lot of guys who come up and back onto their their back foot and come forward through the ball. He almost, like, coils to some extent. It actually reminded me a little bit of Joey Gallo. Not nearly the same as far as, like, Gallo has one of the most unbelievable coils you're ever going to see if you ever slow his video down. How explosive he is through the ball is just – it's mind-boggling to me. I love watching Gallo. But Welker is interesting because he comes – that When that leg comes up, when his front leg comes up, it goes back. It almost like isn't simply just to load his weight. He gets momentum with it and then goes forward with it. And the thing I like about that most is the fact that his K rate isn't through the roof and he could do that. He has relatively good breaking ball recognition at a pretty young age. And that's huge, I think, for developing that power long-term and possibly getting the hit tool up a little bit more. And at the end of the day, it, if he makes it to the major league level, out of the Rockies playing in cores. And I think this is legitimate... 30 home run power if he could go through with that i do like him a lot i think i'm gonna to try to find a way to get him in inside my top 100 um ralph overall do you see that 30 home run pop um or how does he compare to a guy like ryan Velade who's a very different hitter but i mean welker's got that upside no doubt right
0: yeah i think that i think that welker probably uh has the the biggest upside of anybody not named brenner rogers in this list that's pretty easy to say absolutely
2: and your general thoughts on Velade here ralph shortstop uh, he's a little bit shorter on his follow-through overall. He's a smaller guy. I don't really know how long we're going to consider him a shortstop for, especially if, as Michael's saying, that he likes Rodgers at short. So If Rodgers ends up being the shortstop long-term, I don't really see him moving off that too much. But Valadez is a guy that I, it feels kind of utility-ish, but overall, you know, maybe the profile is there a little bit more on the power side of things. The sh- As I mentioned, the stroke isn't too long, so I don't really know how much power I see coming through with it. But he's got good bat to ball ability. He's got good contact profile, and that's something I think a lot of people could buy into. Especially as we're saying, this is going to come up all the time in this list. We're going back to cores. You put him in cores, he's going to hit. Your initial impressions on Valade, Ralph?
0: Yeah, I I was pretty impressed from what I had watched, just on like his amateur video, and then a couple of clips that I saw from his time in rookie ball. Um, He's very short to the ball, um, but he makes a lot of clean barrel contact I mean mm-hmm. he actually had a 26 percent line drive rate uh in his pro debut that's that's an elite line drive rate that's somebody that's like Miguel Cabrera Daniel Murphy mm-hmm. uh Domingo Santana kind of territory <laughs> so it's somebody that you know is, is getting the barrel on the ball and is making excellent clean contact and he did everything he possibly could um, to show that he was one of the better prep players uh coming out of this draft and uh you know the slash line if you look at the numbers 308 438 496, five homers, five steals. Um, but I think that he's a guy that can move off a shortstop to third base and be a guy with, you know, contact power. I think he's another one of these guys that sort of follows in the the Rogers Welker mode that they find these guys that have a, or even Avon McMahon that have a good mix of, you know, hit tool and power. Um, and obviously the profile long-term, as you mentioned, only plays up when they have that looming uh, ETA date <laughs> potentially in Coors, So, I don't know, he's only 18, so maybe this is the guy that replaces Nolan Arenado at third base. You heard it here first, <laughs> seven years <laughs> out.
2: <laughs> Before I pass this back to Michael, I do want to bring up the most interesting stat to me on Valade is the fact that he was 40%, 46%, excuse me, to the opposite field yeah. And he had a 378 babbip, so he's scorching the ball, as you're saying. A lot of these balls going the other way are line drives. Most of the contact profile of balls that go the other way actually can drive down babbip. This is why you see a guy like Chris Bryant early in the season. Everyone was like, why is he going the other way? Look at his babbip, this, this, and this. He's The babbip is low because he is going the other way. It's much harder to hit a ball 100 miles the other way than it is 100 miles to your pull side. 100 miles to your pull side happens all the, all the time. Only Aaron Judge, I'd say, consistently can get 100 miles the other way. It's really, really hard to do that. Um... Michael, Ryan Velade versus Tyler Nevin is what I want to ask you. You said you have it ranked the same as Ralph, so that means you have Welker, Valade, and Nevin. What's the difference you see overall between Velade and Nevin?
1: Well, I definitely think Velade has higher upside. I think Nevin is what you get, and I, and I question whether I have Nevin too high. A lot of people don't have Nevin in the top ten, mm-hmm. um, so I think Ralph and I have him about as high as anybody does, uh, and Nevin's certainly going to have power. Um, I just think the has much higher upside. I think potentially he's going to be a high average and good power guy. And I, I think Nevin is going to be limited. He'll be an offensive guy, but well, we need to see too. He's going to be in Lancaster this year. Nevin really needs to tear the cover off the ball in Lancaster this year.
2: Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much video you've seen of Nevin, Michael, but In my eyes, I think his swing is relatively rigid. I comp it to a guy a little bit lower on this list here, Sam Hilliard, who is another guy with kind of a weird, funky swing. Hilliard had a much higher K rate. But Nevin and Hilliard, to me, are are, I actually like, if you watch any older video of Nevin, he's very, very stiff, and they loosen him up a ton, and I do like that. But overall, I don't know if you've seen any video of him. What were your initial impressions just from his swing as a whole? Did you like it? Did you see anything in it that you were a little bit hesitant to buy in on, Mike? Uh, Give me your thoughts here.
1: You're talking about Nevin. I, I, I've I seen Nevin with a good bat speed, but there's just something about him that I can't put my finger on. I do agree with you. He's yeah, rigid the at thing, the plate. Yeah. He, he really can turn on the ball, but he's rigid. So I just don't know how he's going to play as he moves up the ladder and faces better pitching.
2: <laughs> exactly, Whereas yeah. I, think,
1: I think Valade is really going to be able to adapt to pitching as we move higher up.
2: Mm, I think that's a good point. I, I, I'm going to pass this back to Ralph quick and see if he agrees with me here. I feel like there's a couple guys on this list, Ralph, who overall on other lists we might not consider top ten prospects. I think Nevin is a guy, as, as Michael mentioned, that is outside on some list that top ten. But I feel like to some extent we see – success at Lancaster and at these other levels where, to some extent, we understand that it's buoying the offensive statistics. Mm. But we don't love the player themselves. And this is where I fall into with Nevin, where I don't necessarily love the player. I really do like the adjustments they made with him. If you watch any of his, I want to say, area code games, then you watch what he's done in like August. I saw a home run in Asheville that he hit. It's, It's a different hitter overall, and I do like that. But... I just I, I feel like to some extent I watch video and I'm not in love with a lot of these guys like Hilliard and like Nevin and I mean Tom Murphy is a little bit different of an animal here and Garrett Hampson is just a completely different kind of player but Nevin and Hilliard are the two guys who I kind of just group together as is almost being inflated in my eyes because of what they've done statistically at these parks that kind of inflate it where you go back to Fangraphs you go back to these other sites and you look and you go well I don't really like them overall but I really like how they hit and I just. Is this something you ran into when you were making your list? I, I almost wonder, too, Ralph, if you want to continue and answer, do you think that the Rockies have tough time developing players if their stats are so good and they want to make adjustments but the players want to adjust because the stats are so good?
1: Now, that's an interesting question. I, I'd like to hear what Ralph had to say about that, but I, I do think Hartford will see, but I do think Hartford gives you a chance to see how, quote, a normal ballpark in normal uh, humidity and conditions plays. Of course, the Rockies have always done better until recently developing hitters and pitchers. So the track record yeah. is they
0: do better for hitters.
2: Mm-hmm. That's a very good point, Ralph. Yeah. You and I actually was
0: bring up the same thing that, you know, Asheville is another plus hitting environment. So, these yeah. guys really have it up until they get to Hartford and Hartford, as far as I know, plays sort of neutral. Um, Interesting. Cause I know. Yeah. Well, Cause I think to, 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 deep center field for a minor league park is actually pretty deep there. It's certainly deeper than it yeah, is. Fair. Uh, Does it look AAA, small to you though? Cause like when uh, I've been there or in, or in double a Portland, Portland plays up more as a power park than Hartford has, at least wow. in my experiences, but I could be wrong. We need a couple more years <laughs> fair, than just fair. one to really know how that plays. But Eastern league in general, is is far less of a hitter's league. so I think that sure. that does deflate it a little bit and that does put some of the numbers into perspective. Um, you know it's it's really tough for the Rockies because they it, it almost seems like they target all of these. You know, inflate number, inflating offensive, inflating ballparks, and I don't know if it's like baptism by fire for their pitching prospects because they need they need to make these these guys like need to go through like it's like you know through fire to come out as gold, really, right? Um It's almost like they have to like shell shock these guys so they're ready before they get to Coors and like, hey, yeah, you're gonna have some games where just your breaking stuff isn't isn't breaking or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, I wanted to get onto Nevin for a second, sure, and, sure, and right. I think that there's a significant drop off from one through four to the rest of this list.
2: Agreed. I and, agree.
0: and I would even say that like five to what eight for me is hitters. And then nine through uh, 11 is pitchers. And I would say that that's all pretty much one tier in terms of like quality of prospects. And I think there's a lot of major leaguers in this list list and guys that will fill roles. I don't know if there's necessarily a lot of superstars, Nevin's a little bit higher than the other guys because he does have some draft pedigree. Uh, He also has uh, some, some major league pedigree. His father was Phil Nevin, you know, former number one pick Padres player, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe that adds into a little bit. Um, And in the second half, he put up great numbers in Asheville. Um, He's been limited with injuries. So I don't think we've seen as much of him from, from uh, a production standpoint games played. And ultimately that, that drives into, you know, how much, he actually develops as a baseball player. He's got to have at bats. He's got to have playing time for any change, for him to make changes. Number one, have something to change, and then have something to focus on. So, I think the fact that he was healthy through the second half, put up really good numbers at three thirty six, three eighty one, five twenty three in that second half. You know, he had a twenty percent line drive rates at every single level. I think there's something there. There's natural power. There's natural hitting ability. You know. I think he's like a, a a three and a half out of a five, you know, ultimately if he maxes out, I think he's more like a second division regular and a guy that maybe finds himself, you know, an everyday role and gets 25 homers or so. I don't think he's ever going to hit for a, a really high batting average, but I think overall there are some offensive skills there. Um, and when it comes to, I guess, sort of, uh, the tallest of the little people. Nevin's has an inch on everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The number one podcast for prospects has to have a number one sponsor, and that's rotoware.com, Kenneth Cashman at RotoWare, at Kenneth Cashman on Twitter. He's constantly giving away t-shirts, all of this great material that he's putting out. RotoWare puts on only the finest quality t-shirts. Best fantasy names. He's coming out with new designs as the new seasons coming on upon us here with spring training, what, a mere 70 days away or 70 days away from the beginning of the season? He's got new designs coming out. Uh, he's got plenty of football stuff that's that's I guess not so relevant any longer. But uh rotoware.com. I mean, Lance, what, what else can we say about rotaware that we haven't already said? I'm struggling to find the words. I could just go back to the old reliable top quality t-shirts, best designs. Kenny does this as a job t-shirt. You could wear with a pair of jeans at a bar, all the stuff help used to say. I could say that, but Lance, (laughs) give me something new.
2: I mean, Kenny's the man. I I don't have anything new aside from the fact that this is an awesome brand and Kenny's done a fantastic job. And I got to say the thing I'm most excited for is what Kenny does when the new season comes around. Cause I know he always debuts shirts around probably draft season. He's going to do some, he's going to do some around when the season starts back up and I really enjoy seeing what comes through on his Twitter feed. He's at Road Aware, I believe, and at Kenneth Cashman too, as as the the owner and the founder of an CEO and design. What is it, CDOs, Chief Design Op- Officer? I don't know. I think I just made that up, but I gave you an title, Kenny. I hope you like it. Uh, <laughs> congrats. Uh, but yeah, definitely. I, I mean, reliable. Obviously, they put a bunch of cool little knickknacks in with your product. I was secretly extremely excited for that when when Ralph asked me to jump on this pod. I knew that Kenny was going to be reaching out and sending me a shirt, and I got a free shirt, and I was. Unbelievably excited for that. That is all the payment I ever need for anything. It's just rotoware shirts, honestly. So that makes me happy. It makes the world go round. And rotoware is one of those things that everyone needs in their life. And if you don't already have it in your life, we could help you out with a 20% off coupon Sagnof, S-A-G-N-O-F Saves and Steals Ain't Got No Faces, the Rasbolt terminology. And that'll get you twenty percent off. And follow Kenny and he'll he's always dropping stuff. But um yeah, rotoware. I don't know what else to say. We're gonna jump back into the pod now. So we hope you enjoy the rest of the show. So Michael, Tom Murphy is a guy over the last three years, if you are if you go to Albuquerque perennially, this is a guy I think you've seen three different stints of. He had 136 plate appearances in 2015, 322 in 2016, and this past year he had 154. So has he improved at all? Is this a guy that stock has fallen down on? I feel like to some extent on the fantasy landscape here, he was a guy a lot of people really, really liked. I mean, a, a bat in cores that's a catcher that has some home run pop is something that I think any owner in a fantasy league is going to just die over because it it's just it's everything you ever want. Is a, it's a core stack and a catcher. It's like Jesus Christ. It's unbelievable. But Tom Murphy's K rate has never really come down, and I think that's the main issue. Um, overall, what were your impressions of him seeing him? I assume three different times, Michael.
1: Well, in 2016, that was his best season. You know, he had 19 home runs, 59 RBI, and a three twenty seven batting average. He had a broken arm last year, so we, he didn't really show off too well. And he did well in 2015. But each of those seasons, you know, people were talking about Murphy making the big league club. So any time he spent in Albuquerque was time wasted for some people. I, I think he needs to move up to the big league. And he needs to perform this year. And if he has another setback, then I think he's going to fall on these lists. Defense has been a challenge for him. He's gotten better, but he definitely has the offensive prowess. And I'd sure like to see it play in Coors instead of Albuquerque. It's not that we're bored watching him, but it's time for him to move on.
2: It's very interesting you say that. The other thing I'm most interested in is he needs improvement, but I I fear that his catching defensively isn't good enough to supplant a guy like Tony Walters to get to that full-time playing role, where I think is where a lot of his value would come from. Do you see in the next couple years him either, number one, dropping the Ks enough to survive, or number two, becoming a better defensive catcher at all, Michael?
1: I could see him becoming a better defensive catcher, but I still see a 90-70 split between him and Walters and I would say this year Walters would get the majority of the time and what he's going to have to do. Uh, Murphy is improve his defense. So he gets the majority of the time. Mm, of course, the Rockies could go out again and get another, you know, now they've got Iannetta this year. And so neither of those guys is going to get that kind of playing time since yeah. the Rockies picked up Chris Ionetta.
2: That's a very good point. And Ionetta to some extent almost profiles like a similar hitter to, uh, to a uh, Murphy to me, to some extent it's got some pop. I know Iannetta I believe a better defensive catcher. Actually, Ayman has been one of those weird guys who I was reading something on defensive metric-wise where he's fluctuated a lot to the point where people just don't really understand what kind of catcher he is. I think in like 2015, he was really good. 2016, he was really bad. And then last year, he went back to being good. So I, it's interesting on the framing data there. I'm not exactly sure how reliable that is year over year. But I'll keep it with you for another second here, Michael, and go to a guy that is, I think, to some extent, the literal exact opposite of Tom Murphy, Murphy and that is Garrett Hampson, who is a, is a very, very short I wouldn't even say undersized because his athletic ability is just bonkers he's a lot of fun to watch he's got really really good game speed right in that 70-ish window I think I've seen it 60 some places but as far as impacting the game I think it's more 70 um this game's interesting you know there's not a lot of pop in his bat I think that he could really play interestingly in cores though if you get him to kind of drive the ball into the gap a little bit and just put his wheels on like the outfield's so big there that I just it's really interesting to me you know he's 51 for 65 on the bases um I I think that's almost you know it's as again it's game speed he must be just a really really good base stealer has a really good understanding of pitchers as a whole uh yeah so the exact opposite of Tom Mercy in my opinion Michael how do you like Garrett Hampson
1: well, I'm high on Garrett Hampton. I agree with you. It's kind of hard to figure. He's six feet, 165 pounds. He's going to put on a little bit, but he's not going to add enough to that frame to be a power guy. But I think he could be a doubles machine and maybe even turn those into triples when he gets to Coors. Obviously, speed is his game. He had a three seven on 3.87 on base percentage last year. So I was impressed with that. If he can get on base and uh, obviously uh, turn singles into doubles or hit the double to start with and turn that into a triple, Speed will play in Coors Field if you're a gap hitter.
2: Yeah, I feel like he's a guy who's going to be putting a lot of balls into shallow center and then trying to leg out that double. Um, And that's going to be fun to watch, honestly. Ralph, your thoughts overall, I guess with the two – uh, Robin Big, what's that old MTV show? It's Robin Big, right? I feel like yeah, this is Robin yeah, Big that's exactly of the list, it. right? Robin, Robin Big, Big is Tom Murphy, and, and Rob is definitely Garrett Hampson here. Um, I guess somehow combine these two and give me your thoughts on both. <laughs>
0: um, well, you know, I think the thing with Tom Murphy was really, you know, it, there was so much hype around him heading into last season, um, probably driven by myself and my former co-host. <laughs> Who were big Tom Murphy fans. He broke his arm in spring training yeah. early on. And that really just, you know, just everything just went sideways from there. And and I think that we need to give him a full year to sort of recover. Now, he's 26 years old. It's tough to still believe in a prospect that's 26 years old with the sort of profile that he has. But I think the 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 silver lining with him is the fact that he's a catcher. Um, those guys can take a little bit longer. He's not great defensively, but I think he can carve out a role. Chris Ionetta played against me in high school, so i'm 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 pretty sure that Chris <laughs> Ionetta needs to hang it up pretty soon. I have three kids, and I'm starting to get gray hair, okay? Chris Ionetta, go back to Providence, settle down, eat some Zeppelis, you know, relax, man. Hang out with Vinny Paz and and all the and Rocco Baldelli and all the other Rhode Island high school sports and sports superstars, okay? Just relax, man. <laughs> I want to see Tom Murphy finally get an opportunity in, in Coors. And even if he gets 300 at-bats, he is an awesome catcher to stream oh, or yeah. use in, like, Daily Fantasy. Just a guy that can get you a homer or two, you know, if, if he finds a ball. I, I'm starting to give up on him being – a a contemporary of Gary Sanchez when they were both coming up. We kind of felt that might be right before Sanchez got called up. We kind of both felt like, Hey, these guys have huge offensive upside. Maybe this is the dawn of the Renaissance of the offensive catcher. We're going to have a couple of these guys. I've really given up on all that sort of feeling on Murphy. Um, I think that he could be a decent major leaguer with some pop, but I I don't think he's going to be a superstar bat any longer. Um, but maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm giving up too early, you know, after he had a broken arm in a rough season. So let's see what he does in 2018. Uh, as for Hampson, I think you guys really hit the nail on the head there. Speedster guy that's going to put the ball into play, but he does walk quite a bit. As Michael noted, that's great for, you know, if you're struggling the bat um, a little bit, just you're not in the zone. If he's a guy that can, you know, still take a walk, get on base, utilize that speed. That's the way he's going to stay in the lineup, stay relevant. Stay, you know, accumulating stats for your fantasy team. And, and I think it's the biggest thing with Hampson. Now, I don't know where he fits in. I don't know if it's more of a utility role. I don't know if he does get an everyday job uh, in, in Colorado eventually. But he is an exciting guy to think about in that ballpark. Um, you know, even if he has single digit home run power, if he's a guy that steals as efficiently as he does, hits for a decent average. um the sky's the limit with a guy like that's the reason i've liked Ramon tappy as long as i have now obviously tappy is a guy that hits for a little bit more power than hampson doesn't walk as much but i think it's the same thing putting the ball in play letting the sort of coors baby magic take its effect and then running stealing a lot of bases and you know in a good lineup potentially at the top scoring a lot of runs so i think if everything breaks right for hampson and he does get an everyday job and can earn a role as like the the table setter in that lineup uh, Long term, his numbers could be great. I think there's probably like a 15% chance that happens. So I think he's more of a utility yeah. guy with really good speed.
1: I think I agree with that there. Let, and the, let me throw in one yeah, thing, if I it. could, there. Uh, Baseball America, which of course rates the tools of the players in its top 10 series, rated Hampson the best defensive infielder in the Rockies system. So I do think go. that's worth taking note of.
0: Maybe, maybe there's the guy. Maybe there's the guy that supplants Trevor Story and moves. Uh, moves Brandon Rogers over over to second base.
2: That's very interesting. I wonder how much of that is just Hampson's pure athleticism and foot speed, too. Like, his range is probably something that makes him, as what B.A. is saying here, Michael, as, as one of the best defensive infielders there. It's very interesting. I'm also, I want to pass this to both of you quick, just a little musing here is what I was thinking. I, I haven't actually looked at the stats on this year over year, so I don't know if it's true or not, but are steals diminished at all in cores because the rationale behind playing there is simply just put the ball in play. So why would you possibly put yourself in a situation where you could get thrown out on the base pass? Do you know if that's something that's true, Ralph, or Michael? Or, uh, I-, I was thinking about it because like I-, I don't really know uh, the long-term I- value of guys with stolen bases in that park. You know, I feel like you put a guy like Billy Hamilton there, I almost feel like his steals would go down. I know he'd be on base more, but if I was the Rockies, like I don't know if I'd want him running as much as if a ball down the line could turn first to third. 85% of the time, you know, because the outfield's massive. It's, it's interesting to me. I almost would just feel like put the ball in play and let a guy run as opposed to let him run around the bases un, unimpeded, you know, to some extent. I don't know if either of you have thoughts on that, but uh, I, was, I was thinking mm. about that with Hampson. Um,
1: well, I, I do think that uh, most of the Rockies lineups have been thumpers, and that makes sense. And they—I don't think a Billy Hamilton or that kind of speedster depth would get those kind of steals. But I think speed can certainly play there, uh, maybe less in stolen bases than going first to third or first to home.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that's a very good way to put it, Michael. Just kind of a—it's—it's it's like game speed, which which Hampson has. So I, I maybe that's good for him long term. Maybe it's not. Like, for a guy, like, we go much further down on this list, a guy like Wes Rogers, who is just unbelievably fast, which is, like, almost a pure 80-grade speed from what I understand. Um, I mean, maybe not 80, excuse me, probably, like, more pure 70. But this kid, that kid is wild fast, but... There's a lot of holes in Rogers' swing, and that's one of the guys where, you know, if he can't get on base, whereas Hampson can, I almost would be more inclined to buy in, on a guy like Hampson in a, in a dynasty league because I think it's, to some extent he ends up being a utility guy, especially if he's that good defensively, and swipes some bags for you. But a guy going back up in weight class and height, back up to Sam Hilliard here, before we jump into a trio of pitchers, I just wanted your guys' relative thoughts, and we'll start with Michael here on Hilliard. I can't say I'm the biggest fan of Hilliard. He's got a really weird swing. Um, it's just, it's not uncomfortable for me to watch, but it's just not something that, you know, you look at Brendan Rodgers, and Brendan Rodgers' swing is, is absolutely gorgeous. Um, Hilliard's is not gorgeous. I don't really know if there's a better adjective Ch- to put there. It's choppy. Yeah. He's weird. It's almost like he like, I almost actually thought I was watching some older tape of him. He reminded me a little bit of like Travis Hafner without the power, just like a really, <laughs> that's a good, really yeah, rigid shoulders. It was an yep, odd bad pitch. It's very well, he's a he's yeah.
0: choppy like he's swinging a tomahawk.
2: Yeah, Michael, what are your thoughts on Hilliard here?
0: Well, he's a big guy, six
1: five, two hundred twenty five pounds, and I, you know, you of course he's only twenty three, so maybe he'll grow a little bit more in terms of weight. But I agree with you; it it is not a smooth swing. But on the other hand, of course, he was playing uh, in Lancaster. He had good home run RBI totals, stole thirty seven bases. He's very athletic. He's a good defender. He's got a plus arm in the outfield. I have hopes for Hilliard, but obviously something's going to have to be done with that swing. Mm-hmm. So we'll just have to see how that works out. I, I have trouble believing that's going to play in Hartford the way it did in Lancaster.
2: Yeah, and he's appealing because he has like 20 home run, 20-ish home 20 home runs, 21 I think last year with 37 bags. Not the most efficient on the base pass, but if you just look at that pure fan graph sliding, you see a 300, 367, 480 slash, along with that you just you kind of love it but then this is again what I think it's almost like a I don't know we got to come up with a name for it like the the Lancaster the, the Rockies lower minors like it's almost like a fog that hangs over the players where if you're <laughs> just looking at the stats they're really appealing but and most of these guys when I go to watch them like Nevin this is what happened for me and and Hillier is another one where I just I just can't I don't love them and and you know as we move down to this trio of pitchers here that we have nine ten eleven This trio of pitchers, 9, 10, 11, I would put above Hilliard, and I would also put above Nevin. So I know that's a guy both of you have high on your list. That's probably one of the biggest differentials for me is the fact that I bring both these guys down, and I bring this trio of pitchers up. The trio of pitchers I'm talking about is who Ralph has 9, 10, 11 on his list. Peter Lambert, Ralph has a 9, righty. Riley Pint. If you want some volatility, volatility, we will get into Riley Pint for you. He's volatility? at ten for up. Uh, that's not a word. Please don't, <laughs> please don't clip that up and, and blackmail me with it in the future. <laughs> is, Lance, is Lance saying titty? <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm mixing it in with volatile. I'm just so excited about uh, a Riley Pint. Not really, actually. <laughs> and then eleven, we have Yancy Almonte. So this is trio of pitchers. Peter Lambert, I'll start with, I'll pass it back to Ralph here. I know this is a guy that Ralph likes a bit at nine, has him above Riley Pint. Uh, Lambert's interesting. He's really over the top. He's got a little bit of a weird hesitation. He kind of pulls down. He almost reminded me actually a little bit of like Andy Pettit with how he pulls his, his arm, his throwing arm when he goes down. He's got kind of an odd like... It's almost, uh, to some extent, it feels like Japanese influence in how he throws. <laughs> I don't know if this is just me going absolutely insane. It's it like might the be. Tina- as it's a, it As a mix-up tee and volatile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things. But uh, Lambert's really, I, I mean, if you're looking at a guy to kind of jump up into this list and become the next, you know, Kyle Freeland, Jeff Hoffman-ish kind of guy who could break it and pitch a couple really interesting games and possibly produce some value. I know it's probably not like a German Marquez profile, but... Um, Lambert's interesting. I, I could see this as we see some other guys graduate on this list, jump up into the top five. I think he could cement himself as the clear top pitcher in this organization. I know other people have Castellani up there and, and Pint, et cetera. But Ralph, your overall thoughts on Lambert here?
0: Yeah, I think the thing that makes me buy into Lambert the most is the fact that he has two good um, secondary pitches. I, I really like his, his, uh, his curveball that sits in the mid-70s. He's got a mid eighties changeup that he uses really effectively. He's added a few ticks onto the fastball over the last couple of years. Um, I think he's actually sits, you know, 90 to 93 now, but can ramp it up all the way to 95 to 96. He's a guy with mid rotation upside and um, you know, he's handled a rough environment pretty well at, you know, an age 20 season. He went 142 in a third innings. I think, you know, that, that shows that, you know, he's a guy that can handle innings and there's, there's no restrictions, even though he's relatively young. That's a really good sign. Cause I think if you're going to get a guy in Coors, you want a guy that's going to make a lot of starts because you may not start him against some of the tougher lineups that he faces from time to time. If you know, it's a deeper league and he's more of a mid rotation type than, you know, Jonathan gray who's a guy I'm still enamored with. I think he mm-hmm. can be I an agree. ace, even though he's, you know, in, in Coors and has all that he has to deal with. Still a very good pitcher. Lambert to me, is the best of this group because I think he offers more floor than pint does. And it's unfortunate for me because I really liked Riley pint coming into the draft that year. And even regardless of the whole Rockies thing, he just hasn't performed as well as I hoped he would. And then I think, you know, Yancy Almonte is more of a back end starter, but is an interesting guy, I liked what I saw from him in Hartford. I saw some really strong performances from Almonte, but I think he's just one of those guys that, puts up really you could put up really good numbers in the minors and be impressive but then when he gets to the, the show it's really a question of is this guy more of a long guy, you know, a fifth starter, maybe best case scenario he reaches that mid rotation upside. And I like a lot of what he does, but I just think that Lambert is more of a sure bet of the three that you mentioned this trio to be what we think he can be in terms of when we project Lambert out, you know, to be a major league starter and be, you know, somebody in the middle of that rotation.
2: Yeah, I'll pass it back to Michael here. We'll stick on Lambert because I do want to talk a little bit more about playing Uh Your overall thoughts on Lambert, Michael.
1: I like Lambert. Um, I would look to get him in one of my fantasy leagues as soon as the Rockies trade him. That's <laughs> kind of my attitude towards all Rockies pitchers. But, Agreed. Uh, Lambert's going to look really good in another uniform. But I do like him. I think he's got, a you know, his fastball will play. He's got a good changeup. He's a, a, you know, his curve is good. He's really got excellent control, I think. So it's possible that he'll be able to do it in Coors Field. But, at, at, you know, I think mid-rotation, if he was playing for somebody else, back of the rotation in Coors Field with the pitching staff they have there now.
2: Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, and I mean, Lambert I like a bit, actually. I'll, I'll talk in— Higher level, kind of that 50,000-foot view at these three pitchers. You have Lambert, who I think has very, very minimal relief pitcher risk if you're just looking for an arm to pick up in a fantasy league. that could get you innings down the road, and I guess could be a modern investment, as Michael's saying, and if he's traded. I think he does get a nice kick-up in value. He can command both of his uh, – he doesn't have two pitches. He, I think he mixes in kind of a cutter-slider. I, I saw that called a slider in some spots. I also saw it called a cutter. Could be wrong on that, but a change-up in curveball, too, for him. And he's pretty good with all those pitches. And then you jump to a guy like Riley Pint, and he is – volatile as can be with very little command, but the stuff is just disgusting. And then you go down to Almonte, he's a guy who's more of a fastball pitcher who has a slider and a changeup, and I think most people kind of like that slider and cores because curveballs I think don't spin as much so therefore don't break as much and become a little less effective so I know that the Rockies have been kind of pushing their guys to throw more sliders so curveballs are something I'm a little bit wary about with some of these guys in the lower minors if they get if it's an okay pitch I feel like at the major league level to some extent it could be subpar and then that's not going to actually return to good of value he's going to have to go back to his fastball a lot and in general I don't want anyone throwing fastballs in, in cores honestly but uh, but Lambert I do like a bit uh, 20 years old as, as Ralph mentioned he has a pretty good amount of innings and really really good control too. And, and floor-wise, I like him. I'm a fan. I'm going to keep an eye on Lambert overall. Um, one of the things that th- I actually saw brought up with him that I found interesting and it'd be very interested to see once he gets to the major league level and we get some data on it is the tunneling metrics around him. So I know baseball perspectives has done a lot with pitch tunneling. And I know Ralph's gotten into this a bit too. He's a guy who hides the ball very, very well. If you watch any behind home mm-hmm. plate views of Lambert where he comes out with his arm slot and over the top, it's disgusting. It's really, really interesting that he could get really good pronation on his arm and allow that change up to kind of tumble and fade, and he can swing a curveball, too, that is is just about kind of in that 50 grade. It's not fantastic, but it's not terrible. And I think in a guy like this, that's what you want more. You don't need the 70-grade pitch. I'd take three 50-grade pitches from Peter Lambert any day of the week, honestly, and I would be very happy with that. But tunneling is something I'm interested to see the metrics on with him, and even a guy like jumping off list here, but Jay Groom is another guy who we talked about with Gianca Vagno, where he has a disgusting fastball-curveball uh, combo back-to-back when he sequences those two pitches. It's virtually impossible to tell which one's Wilson told very, very late, as they call it in it's the tunnel point, is when the hitter has to decide to swing. And Lambert's, I feel like, a guy who could succeed in this, which is one of the reasons why I'm not as concerned for him in cores, and I think that that's kind of where I might buy into him a little bit more because I think that he can sequence these pitches well enough maybe that's one of the lost arts in course too, sequencing pitches I know yeah. that they don't break a lot but if you could find a couple in your repertoire that do break and again we're going back to Lambert here four pitches I like all four of them if he could throw all four of those I'm sure he could find one or two that combo up better but uh Ralph you're into tunneling a little bit do you kind of see that with Lambert at all
0: Yeah, I think it just depends on his release point. And I haven't studied Lambert's release point um, extensively enough to say if that's uh, actually the fact or not. But I think somebody who mixes it well, and I'll say another sign, I think, without a lot of data, if I'm trying to read the tea leaves of the type of a pitcher who would probably succeed in terms of the way the ball looks coming out of the hand, the tunneling end of it, would be somebody that probably has a good changeup.
2: Yes, yeah. Because my guess is
0: that that would correlate well with somebody not being able to time that up versus the fastball. Yeah. I might be totally off base on that. No, I that's think you're right. That's a wild hypothesis I'm throwing out there, but we'd have to be able to prove it. But I would imagine so cuz it's a feel pitch and that's really what that art is about is having feel for your secondaries and 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 you know getting sort of that late movement as opposed to that drastic movement. Um, maybe that has me rethinking my love of Colby Allard's uh, curveball. Eh,
2: interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. that's a good point there. All right, now, now let's get into the, the asset here that uh, is extremely volatile, and a guy I think easily could have been brought up in the first 20 minutes of this podcast, but we're about an hour in now, and, and Riley Pine is someone we have not really talked about at all. Um, I'm going to try to play good cop, bad cop here with you guys. I assume both of you don't like him too, too much. I will try to defend him, but Michael, I'm going to open up the floor to you to give your general thoughts, negative or positive. Lay it on us, man.
1: Well, I ranked him higher than Ralph. I had him uh, number six. Okay. But I will say of of, of all the players I ranked, I've, he's the one I got the most comments about, and they came in two flavors. One was I clearly ranked him too high, and the other was I clearly <laughs> ranked him too low. Oh, man. Just like <laughs> so, this kid's... Uh, uh, maybe I him. have him right. That's <laughs> all I just can Just right. <laughs> clearly, he's got great upside. The Rockies still believe in him. They think he's going to be a top of the rotation starter. They say, don't worry about the numbers. This is all about development. I, another year in Asheville, and we'll see what the numbers say. I do would like to see the numbers start to catch up with the stuff, because the stuff is great. The command is just terrible. So I'd like to see that get fixed this year.
2: Yeah, he's a, he's a pretty big guy, too. He's 6'4". He's pretty lanky. Uh, I'll, his mechanics are something that I was watching some of the top velocity guys break down, which I, I think is something I've brought up in the past on this, and I, I really enjoy their breakdowns. Uh, he is very, very athletic, as you'll see with a lot of these other guys that are big. Forrest Whitley a guy that's also huge and extremely athletic and can do some really funky things with his body and getting the ball up to the velocities he gets it up to. And that, that applies perfectly, I think, also to Pint. Pint is a really, really good fastball pitcher, has a disgusting slider when it's on. The stuff is just, it's unbelievable. I think that to some extent the, the changeup is already kind of average-ish too, which you don't see a lot in these in these younger high school arms like this, but his control, oh my god, Ralph, I don't even know like what to say. I, I've heard some, I don't think I have the wild pitch stats here, but... I heard that he had like 14 or something wild pitches. I could be completely off base with that, but just an absurd (laughs) amount. And it's just, you look at the stats and it's like, holy God, like what happens? 93 innings, he had an 18% K rate. And that's probably the biggest concern is like you talk about a high school guy with really, really good stuff. You expect like a 30% K rate. Like if Pine was putting up a 30% K rate with the 14% walk rate he's putting up, I feel like you'd have more buy-in from people because you're like, you know, the stuff's there. He's just got to make some adjustments. If he can act at any point in his career, command a pitch, you know, for a game, he's going to probably go seven and K-10. But the fact that that K-rate's below 20% and A-ball, it's concerning to some extent. But I've actually been relatively surprised with how many people are still in on him. Mainly, I assume it's because he's just so young, but... As you're saying, Michael, this is a guy where if people look at your list, I think you're going to get exactly what you're saying in the two flavors. You're going to have someone who's saying, oh, my God, you ranked him way too high. How on earth could you buy in for what he's done? And then you have the other people who are like, you know, I'm kind of tossing out this 120-ish, 130-ish game sample and just seeing it with my eyes. And, you know, if you watch any of his bullpens, that stuff is disgusting. So, Ralph, where do you fall in this mix? You said earlier in the podcast you like him, but I have a feeling that you've soured on him a bit if you have him at 10 overall.
0: Yeah, I mean, this the stuff is ridiculous. Not since I was scouting Ricky Vaughn in the uh, California Penal League. Have I seen somebody with uh, such velocity yeah. and crooked stuff? By the way, that's Charlie Sheen's character from uh, Major League. <laughs> you know. Anyway, um, but yeah, I mean, plus plus fastball, plus breaking ball, a really good change up in, in high school. I, I was praying that this guy would get drafted by the Braves. I was like, this this guy huh. could be the next great, you know, Brave starter. They didn't go that direction. He ended up going, and then I was, then I was like, I hope he goes to Oakland. And he ended up in Colorado, and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh <God. laughs> okay. And he's been more disappointing than I than I thought. So he doesn't have the controller command that you want to see. He has the stuff, but that's but that's only part of it, right? You got to know how to pitch. I'm hoping that he's working on it. I know that every scouting report you, you read from, so, you know, from the professionals that talk to scouts, they're telling you Rocky scouts, as Michael mentioned, have a lot of faith in this guy. They're bullish. This guy is still a top of the rotation type of talent. It's all there. He's just got to figure it out. Well, he's 20. He's got a couple of years to figure it out still, but, uh, and it takes a long time. Sometimes with these guys to figure out control and command, he's bigger, the, the mechanics can be fine when I watch him, but he doesn't repeat them. I mean, it, there's no consistency with his delivery at all. Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, it, the stuff is there. I'm really questionable about the package and his ability to take it all the way. Yeah. I and mean, actually, you don't get the most out of his stuff.
2: Yeah, at the at the end of the day, I think at the actually about four minutes ago, I said I was going to defend him, and now as I start to think about it, it's it's
0: hard, <laughs> it's it's really hard to defend him. Momentum. Well, because I don't think we dislike him. I don't think yeah, anybody it's... dislikes him. We see the talent that's there, and it's impressive. And you you see times where you know he snaps off a breaking ball, and you're like, wow, it's unidentifiable. You know, yeah. or, or you know, or you've seen him, you know, hit ninety nine in the gun in in high school, and you're like, damn, yeah. you know, this, this this guy has stuff. It's not straight. You know, so that's that's part of it. It's not hittable, but it's a matter of just like corralling it. You know, he's like a wild stallion that needs to be broken. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, and, he, and he's been around long enough where it you start to question how long before you give up, and that's the problem with guys like this because he's only 20. So like realistically, yeah. if he stays in, he may, he might even repeat a level. But if he stays three more years in the lower minors and just develops, and then is 24 and finally hits Hartford if they're still the Hart, if they're still the Rockies affiliate at that point, you know. <laughs> That that could be – I mean, at that point, everyone is going to be off the bandwagon. They'll have to 40-man him to protect him from Rule 5 to some extent, I'm sure, if he takes that long to develop. But, I mean, a guy like that, like, if he's 24 and he figures it out, I'm fine with that. But you have to understand that it's – that's a four-year investment. You know, like that's a lot of yeah. time for a kid like this. Yeah. That's a high school arm. This is like, like Shane Baz and Tyler Kolak and all these other high school arms that come out. We're a little bit different than Pine. I, I will say that they're different throwers as a whole. They're shorter, probably a little bit better on the command side. Pine is just all over the place. But I mean, I, honestly, I just want this guy to develop for three, four years. Like, as you were saying, Ralph, the mechanics are they are not repeatable, but what he does with his mechanics is relatively interesting. It's a lot of velocity with a weird incorporation of a lot of rotational force, a lot of his lower half and his upper half playing together really well. And he's got a really weird, like, hyperextension of his front leg. He doesn't really extend as much as I think a lot of people would. I know Alex Meyer of the of the Angels is the guy who always showed up on the extension leaderboards for, like, effective fastball velocity, where his extension is just insane. And I almost feel to some extent, if you give Riley Pint the Alex Meyer treatment, like, that's actually, I like that comp, now, the more I think about it even though the extension isn't nearly the same, Meyer is a guy I've always had a a bit of a thing for because of how good his stuff is. He's never had good command, but at the end of the day, if we're looking up and we're seeing Riley Pine and he turns into Alex Meyer and and I I understand that there's some differences between them. It's not great, but at least you're getting a little bit of return. You know, we've had such (laughs) these, these high school pitchers have just been so terrible. It's like, if you could get them to the major league level and have them produce, you know, four to five war over three four to five years, and I mean, I know there's some closer buzz around Pine, too, but uh, it's just, I like him. I don't know why I like him, but I like him, and I just I just want, you got to preach time with a guy like this. That's the thing. I think we expect very quick turnaround, especially when we see guys like Kyle Wright, who are going to fly through the system, and AJ Puck, who's already in AA, and could easily get a September call-up and probably be fine, and all these other guys like Rodon and Nola, who just fly through the system, because they're good, and they're polished, and Pine is not Mm. that, and I think, to some extent, we put the wrong kind of blinders on when we're looking at him we look at him through the wrong goggles and that's kind of why i think we're overcritical of him and i I think the scouts do a pretty good job of bringing us back to earth on him and making us realize that he's really really young he's got really good stuff i'm fine with giving him four years and on the fantasy side of things if you want to ship him because you don't want to wait four years be my guest i don't mind like that's okay like i completely understand if you don't want a four-year investment that is really as volatile as this kid is so um, but let's, let's I, I digress. Let's jump around a little bit more now. Yancy Almonte is a guy very different than Pint and Lambert. I want to pass it back to Michael here if he has any thoughts on Yancy Almonte. In my impression, a uh, little bit of a release, relief risk here. I know we talked Pint briefly about having some closer risk. Uh, that's probably because the stuff is so good, and he could probably survive in a closer role if he can at least control the pitches. He doesn't really even need to command them. But uh, Yancy Almonte is a guy who I think probably ends up Later this year in a Rockies uniform, and we see a bit of him, whether it be in a relief role or a starter role, uh, the Rockies have been relatively inclined to kind of start some of these interesting double-A-ish arms that we've seen around. Michael, what are your thoughts on Yancey Almonte?
1: I do think we'll see him this year in Denver, and I think we will see him in the bullpen, probably in the fifth or sixth inning. But I see him as potentially a future closer, He's got a great fastball and a good slider, and with those two pitches, I think he could, in fact, succeed in the bullpen and could ultimately be a closer.
2: Yeah, I've heard some buzz around that, too. Uh, how does he compare for you, jumping down a little bit on Ralph's list here to Ryan Castellani, um, how does he compare it to Castellani? He's a bit more of a side, arm, side armor, excuse me, Castellani, um, with the slider change guy, so he's got the same profile with that slider, but it comes out of a very different slot um, he pitched in Double A with El Monte, I believe, at some point this year. And Cassiani gets a ton of Max Scherzer comps, even though they're just terrible because it's more of a look, aesthetic thing than it actually is a performance thing. And I highly caution using that comp aside from as I just use it, and now I'm being hypocritical. So, Michael, what are your thoughts on
1: Cassiani? Well, I see Cassiani as as staying as a starter. I don't really see him as a bullpen guy. He's okay. got a plus sinker. He's got a slider and curve to go with a 92 to 95 fastball. And he's got good command, and he's a workhorse. I mean, he pitches. He pitched 157 innings last year. He'll probably pitch that many in Albuquerque this year. He's another guy that I would consider for my fantasy team as soon as the Rockies trade him. I mean, <laughs> I see him as a <laughs> mid-to-back-end rotation guy at best. But I do think he'll be a starter, and I do think he'll start in the majors.
2: That's interesting. So I can ask you a question, Michael. If you look out, say three, four years, who do you think produces more war, Castellani or a guy like Yancy Almonte?
1: Castellani clearly has the higher floor. Almonte has the higher ceiling. If he, if Almonte could succeed as a, as a effective closer, he would produce more war.
2: Interesting. I like that. Yeah, I think that that's a very good way to put it. Is Almonte, if he could get into that closer role and become a pretty good reliever, I think he could produce more. But. Um, I am a little bit worried about Castiani's profile, even if it's a little bit more ground ball inducing um, in course. And as you're saying, trade them and the value will probably kick <laughs> up a bit. Ralph, your thoughts on Yancy and Ryan.
0: Yeah. I, as I, I, I actually got a look at both of these guys this year and uh, yeah, as I mentioned on, on Yancy, you know, I, I like the fastball. He's got the fastball velocity. Um, I like the slider a lot. It's his best pitch. His third pitch being the changeup. It's more of a fringe, you know, offering, um, but I think he does have the stuff. As I said, potentially be a guy that misses some bats, but has his rough outings at the back end of the rotation if he sticks as a starter, or has a future in the bullpen. I have him as high as I have him, you know, ranked ahead of some of these arms that are, you know, in the, the bottom 10 or the second half of the list, because I think he has more pathways to a major league role ultimately. Um, yeah, I, I like, I actually like Almonte quite a bit. I have drafted him. I've list, listed him as a, a guy, I think is a sleeper. I, I just, I saw some good starts. I saw two starts from where he looked really good. I think you can get major league hitters out. And, and, uh, I just really like the the fastball slider combination. Um, though I do think it's kind of funny that the Rockies traded him for, uh, or got him back when they traded Tommy Canely to the white Sox. <laughs> The that's White Sox, the point. White Sox turned Gordon, Gordon Beckham into their return in the uh, Tommy Canely, Todd Frazier deal. But that's a, a little side footnote for you. Um, as for Castellani, I think you he, he sort of hit the nail on the head. I saw him go eight innings. He only gave up five hits, uh, scoreless innings in in a start um, earlier this year or last year, excuse me, uh, in New Hampshire, because I'm not too far from that park either. And uh, didn't walk a batter, struck out eight, looked really good in the process. But I think he's more of your back end of the rotation innings eater. Doesn't strike out enough guys to be really interesting for fantasy. But I do think that he has a major league uh, floor. I think he ultimately will be a major league starter. Just more of a back end of the, of the rotation profile. And I think, as, uh, <laughs> as Michael so eloquently put it, a guy that I would probably want to trade for <laughs> as soon as he's traded out of Colorado. Uh,
2: that's a good point. And I'm interested, Ralph, also in, you know, you've seen a lot of double-A pitchers, I know. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen the guys like Barrios down there uh, back in the day, if anyone remembers yeah. the name, Jesse Biddle I actually liked a bit for the Phillies. You know, oh. Owens was down there. Um, I think I saw Kyle Freeland down there. I saw Trevor Rogers, the long man for the Twins for a bit, who pitched. So, in, in comparison to other double-A arms you've seen, are these guys right around the average or are they a little bit better or are they kind of a little bit worse? I'm just interested in kind of, you've seen them both live. So I'm just interested in overall how they've comped to other guys you've seen in double. I know you've seen guys like Honeywell too, and
0: triple a who obviously yeah. are much
2: more esteemed as a whole, but how, he, how he, gave, he comp- gave
0: up eight runs in the game. I saw him this year, <laughs> Honeywell. So uh, <laughs> okay. I saw yeah, Mareno and he I gave was, up like, like yeah, seven. Son, so. We're going to see them by one of my favorite pitching yeah. prospects, in baseball. <laughs> You know, and he yeah. thought you were insane. <laughs> now, here you go. He's giving up home runs to Rosny Castillo. Awesome. Yeah. Whoa. Um, I actually will. Uh, I'll throw some hyperbole at you. And I, I saw live. I saw twelve double A games this season because the best double A pitcher I saw this season on tape was Louis go- Gohara in Mississippi. Okay. Uh, he was awesome. Yancy Almonte was the best double A pitcher I saw all season for. What? uh Four or five teams that I saw, he actually pitched some of the most impressive games. I just think his slider is just a lot of fun. And you know, one game I was sitting behind home plate, um, you know, in that lower bowl in, yep, yep. in Hartford, and uh, you could really see the break on it. And, yeah, it's a good spot. and he snap, and he snaps off a great fastball. So yeah, I, I think that uh, he's above average for me. And I, I think Castellani is is above average, but is just more back end of the rotation sort of profile from there's nothing, there's nothing exciting. There's no sizzle to Castellano really. He's just a good pitcher. You know, he's somebody that shows up at the ballpark, throw strikes, gets outs, you know, ultimately probably be in the major leagues, but he's not going to be somebody who's stellar. Um, where Almonte has his moments. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's misses more bats and just more impressive in my opinion. Mm, that's a very good so point. So I think they're both above average. It's the reason that they have, major league upside because there's a lot of double a pitches you see that are just junk
2: oh yeah it's yeah. you know, a lot up especially guys and stuff. Yeah.
0: washed up triple a guys guys that you know are just career made you know minor leaguers that you know this is the the height of their career or guys that just can't figure certain things out um or you, you get a lot of guys that throw four innings you know and and they're not going six or seven innings to start
2: mm-hmm. yeah very fair there i know we've seen our fair share of those Is Back when they were the New Britain Rockcats. Uh that was the situation a lot of the time <laughs> with guys just not being able to there. eat innings. I never yeah. made it out there. You never did, no way. It was, no, it was a, I haven't
0: been I haven't been in Norwich either, so I haven't uh both are I haven't been to Connecticut Tigers games yet. I missed both, Matt Manning there last year.
2: Uh both are relatively subpar I mean it, i think New Britain actually is now an independent ball team. They're the New Britain Bees. so it's like the Bluefish yeah. Atlantic League, but or yeah. one of those leagues, one of the other. But they're both subpar stadiums, like the old New Britain and, and Connecticut. No offense to anyone in Norwich. I'm from Connecticut, so I don't even know why I'm saying that. But Hartford's a beautiful stadium. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you're talking really like New the- Britain to Hartford, it's like night day. Like, Hartford is gorgeous compared uh, to the Britain was.
0: It's significantly nicer oh. than Pawtucket. Pawtucket might be the worst yeah, stadium. Yeah, Pawtucket's
2: a tough one because you, you're, like, raised up there too, right? Am I thinking of the right park? Or is that Portland. I'm thinking of Portland, um, no, you
0: are, you are, you are, you are raised up there. That's why like when we were kids and we would go to, cause I grew up right near Pawtucket. As yeah. We talked about in the Pawtucket podcast for like 20 minutes in my intro. Um, <laughs> we used to tie. So we, it's called fishing and we yeah, would cut out for all your right? bottle and we would throw, um, a ball and a pen in there and then tie some string around it and then fish it down in the dugout. And I got, uh, Vaughn's autograph that way. John Valentin, Chipper Jones, when he was playing for, uh, it wasn't Gwinnett at the time. I forget where the AAA affiliate was. Richmond maybe is where the Braves were at that point. Mm. I, I, I'd have to look back and remember. And maybe Javi Lopez. But there was there was, there was a few guys that uh, I got autographs from as visiting players, and uh, also all my all my Paw Sox guys. But yeah, that stadium still. It, it, they re, they renovated it and it looks better than it did, but it's still. Not nice. It's not hard. Hartford. <laughs> Hartford. I can go and like eat barbecue, and it's like great. It's, and there's like yeah, surprise the outfield, and there's all these seats. I mean, you could. Yeah, I, that's a great stadium. That's one of the best I Miami parks. To.
2: I agree. Definitely. All right. So we're running pretty late here, but I do want to yeah. hit on some of these guys. I'm going to toss it back to Michael. I'll just rattle off some names, Michael. We'll we'll kick it around. We'll pick a name each, and maybe just give simple thoughts on the guys here. So. After Yancey Monte on 11 on roughs list, he goes Brian Mundell, 12, Jordan Patterson, 13. He had Castellani, 14, 15's Forest Wall, 16's West Rogers, 17, Daniel Daniel Montano, 18, Ben Bowden, 19, Chad Spanberger, and 20, Sean Bouchard. So we'll pass it back to Michael here. Pick any of those names. I don't know if you've seen any of, any of them, Michael, or if you have any Kind of inclinations on what their future value might be, but I'm interested if you have anyone on the bottom half of this list that might be worth keeping an eye on.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to seeing Brian Mundell, who may be the most boring guy on this list because <laughs> all he does is hit, and he's hit at every level. Agreed. And he's my 11th ranked prospect. And to and be honest with you, I considered flipping him and Nevin. He's not going to have the power, but this guy has hit everywhere he's been. He's going to be in Albuquerque. I don't know. Right-handed hitting first baseman are not exactly much of a commodity, but if you can hit, that sells pretty well anywhere. So I am interested in seeing what Mundell looks like. And I'm also – I was high on Forest wall and was a little disappointed, and then he had a great start to last season and dislocated his shoulder – a month into his best season. So I am hoping he comes back. I they've moved him to center field. We'll see if he can play the outfield. I think he could be a major league regular, but I want to see what he can do this year. Yeah. I guess the guy who intrigued me among all those you mentioned was Daniel Montano. Who's what? 18 years old. He played two years in the Dominican summer league. He's out of Venezuela. He's this will be his first summer in the USA. Uh, he's 19 years old. I'm real interested to see um, see how he plays. You know, he's going to be over here. Um, I haven't seen him, obviously, seen a little bit of tape. He looks like a ball player, but at that age, 18, 19, you know, we have to see how they develop. But I would like to see what kind of season he has. I noticed Ralph's high on him, and so am I.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. I'll kick it back to Ralph now. Pick up any of these guys on this list that you want to. You want to chime in about whether it be someone Mike already mentioned or not.
0: Yeah, I'm just gonna go with with somebody that Mike already mentioned. I, I agree on Montano, and I think it's just uh, I, I'm missing Pedro Gonzalez on this list from last year, who was traded to the, the as the player to be named later in the the Jonathan Lucroy deal of the Rangers. He's an interesting prospect, but uh, I needed I needed some sort of like Latin love on the list where. I was looking at a player. And I'm like, all right, this guy's projectable. He's exciting. And, uh, he's like a J two guy <laughs> in the system. Cause I, I, always need one of those guys in every single system that I write about, uh, cause they're fun to know about. And there's sometimes the guys that sort of come out of nowhere and whatever. But as for forest wall, I was excited to see what he could have done for a full season in Lancaster. Yeah. He definitely changed some of his approach. His pole hitting was 48%. His pull side. So that's it. That's an approach change for Wall. They moved him to the outfield. It's just been a matter of him, you know, kind of figuring it all out. The fly ball rate was up 12%. I don't know how much of that was Lancaster boosted, but I, I think, you know, it was a conscious approach change from what I've read. I still think there's a lot of skills there. There's speed there. If he can tap into a little bit more power, because maybe, you know, the 300 batting average we were hoping on when he got drafted isn't there. If he's a guy that can hit 260, but hit 15 homers and steal 30 bases at you know, somewhere in the middle of the end, outf- you know, uh, middle of the field, whether it be, you know, center field or he ends up back at second. I don't think it's the case. probably, you know, long-term, uh, you know, outfielder at this point. But I think that makes wall kind of interesting for fantasy. I-, I don't know. I mean, the back end of this list, there's a lot of names. I feel like I had to mention because of production, as you mentioned before, mm-hmm. but there's nobody that I'm, I'm really enamored with uh, Chad Spanberger is another interesting one. He was a sixth round pick. He gets a, a huge strength, tons of power, slug. Six seventeen hit nineteen homers. Um, I think it was out of the draft too. I think he had the most homers coming out of the draft this year, if I'm not mistaken. Sixth round guy out of Arkansas um, misses you know the ball a ton too, even in rookie ball as a 22 year old. So. I, I don't know if he's an actual major leaguer or if he's a guy that's, you know, advanced college player, maxed out body, playing against rookie ball kids, crushed the competition. But he's kind of interesting, especially in this system with big power and some of these ballparks he'll go to, Asheville, Lancaster, et cetera. If he sticks around a little bit and, you know, and he makes enough contact, I think Spanberg is a guy maybe on the back end of your list to pay a little attention to.
2: Yeah, I, I'll keep an eye on Spamberger. i also keep an eye on Wes Rogers as well. 70 stolen bases in over 500 <laughs> games, which is just bonkers. But as I think I alluded to very briefly earlier, earlier on, he's got a really heavy bat rap when he swings, and I think there's going to be some serious contact issues with him at higher levels. So that's one of the issues. I mean, like, sure, you might like his speed more than you like Hampson's speed, but Hampson has defense and he can actually play overall. And I'm also going to go off, off the list for a guy that I want to bring up very briefly, who I saw a bit. I don't know if you saw him in A, Ralph, but I like this guy a lot. He was far advanced for the level. He's older. I don't know how many people actually know his name or care about him because he's 26, but Shane Broyles was the closer for the Hartford Yard Goats last year. He had a 37% strikeout rate to a 7% walk rate. I don't know if you ever huh. saw him, Ralph. This kid was disgusting. No. He is really, really good. I liked a lot of his command, really good two-pitch mix. Think it was probably curveball slider. There really isn't reports on him anywhere. I was thoroughly impressed with him when I saw him. Um, clearly the closer there. I think that I'll, I'll sneak this in. I think that there's a really good chance this guy actually gets up to the major league level this year as like a middle reliever. Um, and I know many people are probably going to care about that, but the fact that this guy was picked 438th overall in 2012 and the Rockies might actually get a, some smidge of value out of him is wild to me. And I commend the Rockies for doing that, but keep an eye on the name Shane Broyles. Like don't actually care about huh. it too much for fantasy, but he was really good when I saw him two times. And I was very impressed with his stuff. Um, one of the most impressive pitchers I actually saw on that. I didn't see any Almonte actually, so I have to qualify it. But one of the most impressive pitchers I saw on that yard goats team. Um, and yeah, Forrest Wall. I think we all kind of have the same opinion on. I, I just, I'm so bummed because I liked him a lot, but that, that, oh, the injury just killed his development. Like, he was in that prime age where you like to see strides being made at 21. And now he's 22, and now he's got to do that year of development again. And the next thing you know, he's going to be 23. And eh, it's just – it lags it. It's tough to see guys like that. Um, Ralph, do we have anything else to go over here? We went through a lot. Um, no. <laughs> Michael, do you have any final thoughts here, man? Uh, whether it be on anything on the bottom half of this list or – your experience on the Reswell Prospect podcast with
1: Brochitz here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've certainly appreciated. It. I did want to throw in one fact on Broyfeld. Sure, sure. He had seventy-eight strikeouts in fifty-three innings. That's uh Ooh, that's a pretty yeah. good statistic. And I I, I I too think he's headed for the bullpen and I could see him succeeding at the major league level. So but no, I really appreciate your guys having me. I just uh let people know i'm on twitter at parnell michael that's p-a-r-n-e-l-l-m-i-c-h-a-e-l and prospects 1500 you can pick us up on twitter at prospects 1500 or online at prospects 1500.com we have the top 50 prospects for all 30 teams so we've got at least 1500 guys on the site at all times we're talking about and usually more than that
2: yeah that's awesome i'm sure me and ralph will both be tweeting out a bunch with you name in there and your handle in there and prospects 1500 and stuff so we will definitely promote you we appreciate you coming on did you actually i actually a question here did you have broils inside your top 30 i don't think i actually saw beyond like 10 on your list which is unfortunate because i'm probably going to go and look at that right now but did you i by knowing that i'm sure you've heard the name broils before
1: i I did have a top 50 yeah and i and obviously to put together a top 50 i looked at probably 80 or 90 names anyway so Nice.
2: No, that's awesome. I like that. He's getting some love here and now yeah. it just means he was one. He was
1: not. I think Almonte is a better possibility or prospect. Sure. Sure. Of course. As a, as a closer. But I think Broyles is definitely on my list. I had him here uh, listed. So, yeah. Interesting.
2: Very interesting. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Lance Bros. I'm writing for Razzball. I just picked it back up. I had a Cozart column come out earlier this week. I'll be back in a reg- regular schedule as we get into the season. Um, what else? I can do a lot of other stuff. I can't really think of any of it right now cause it's late, but I'm going to pass it back to Ralph if he wants to plug anything. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, Lance, do do your homework. Broyles, uh, <laughs> Broyles Bro- was thirty-one on Michael's list. I want to. Oh, come on! I can't you. believe I snubbed him. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know, no big deal. I, <laughs> it's good because you got to talk about his list, right? Yeah, you get to bring we up. Well, now. if you
1: only read 30, so you're not going to get to number thirty-one. <laughs> <either>. Exactly, <laughs> exactly.
0: That's his problem. He's not thorough enough. Um, <laughs> I'm just busting your chops. I love you, Lance. Um, <laughs> Hey, Michael, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I'm yeah. a huge fan of his work. And, you know, when he was covering the Rays and, and now covering the Rockies, um, some good perspective. He's he's following around some, some good organizations as well with a lot of talent. Uh, Scott Green and, and Prospect 1500, they do an awesome job. Follow them on Twitter. Give Michael a follow. Give Lance a follow if you're not following Lance um follow me on twitter I'm prospect jesus uh i like to be as obnoxious as possible with my twitter handle so that's why i'm (laughs) prospect jesus um you know i have plenty of stuff coming out on Razzball all all week long i had a new podcast that came out with gray on tuesday um i have a los angeles Angels system i'm gonna do this weekend i'm not sure if i'm gonna put i don't know should i put shohei otani on it or not i'm um, mentioning i want you to know i'm um, my
2: top 100, I'm not putting them on, but the one of the first senses is Otani would be number one. So just yeah, get it out I of the think, way. Like I just don't want to talk about <laughs> it. You
0: know. Right. I'm gonna do one A, one B, and just yeah. be like, yeah, see, he's there. Um, <laughs> so I got that coming out. I got some more stuff coming out. I've been doing my sleeper posts uh, on Twitter, doing drafts, tweeting about prospects. Uh, my show, Fantrax Show, we've been running through all of our preseason. Uh, Breakdowns. We do one player a day or a couple players a day. Usually one hitter, one pitcher. Andy and uh, Singleton and I do a great job breaking down all these guys, going from a staff perspective, uh, also sort of from a uh, uh, strategy perspective. And get sort of Andy's strength. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I got a lot of stuff going. It's it's January eighteenth as we're recording this, and I feel like I am doing something with fantasy baseball every single day because I am um, out of my mind. But anyway, <laughs> Lance, Michael, it's been real. Thank you, people. Another great week in the Prospect Podcast. White Castle Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram.
1: Texting privacy policy in
2: terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply, reply stop, opt out.